0: As a congregation, we have been working our way through the Gospel of John, and we continue that this morning as we pick up in John chapter 12, where we will be reading verse 12 through verse 36. It's going to be on the screen behind me, or if you'd like to follow along, and not only when I read it, but make uh, notes back during my message in your pew Bibles it can be found starting on page 1068. Again, from the Gospel of John, the 12th chapter, beginning at verse 12. The next day, this being the day after Jesus was anointed at Bethany, and when the Passover had begun, uh, the large crowd, or it was about to begin, uh, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of of Zion. Behold, the king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. Now is my soul's trouble, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a joy it always is to be able to do as I did this morning, to hold a little bundle in your arms. And to think about God's mighty creation, but also to think about that little child and and the life that he's about to engage in. To be aware of the fact that indeed he will face all kinds of challenges. And yet, in that little tiny package, there's all this potential And we have for that little guy all kinds of dreams about what life will hold for him. What are those dreams? What are those hopes? And, And don't just think about Jace. Think about for yourself and for your children and your loved ones. When you think about life and living a good and blessed and a wonderful life, what kind of things do you hope to see? From your life to where you could say that was a good life. I ask that question of us. But that's a question that our culture is constantly asking. And and while you might have and likely do have a very different answer. When we ask that question of our culture. Think about some of the things. Then the ways that they would answer that question. What makes for a great life? Well one of the clear answers that our culture gives is Fame. Fame makes for a wonderful life. If you are known by many people, then you are loved by many people. And then you are known and you are celebrated and we want to be celebrated. And so we, we start an account on a social media page hoping to influence others and, and get them to listen to our voices. People sign up for these celebrity shows where they compete with one another so that their uh, skills can be acknowledged by others and they can win prizes and praise. If we are known and celebrated for our gifts through fame, that is a good life. Add to that finances. Finances. If you want a good life, you better have a lot of money so that you can not want for things, but you can be provided for. And so how much time and attention do we dedicate to trying to accumulate as many finances as possible so that we can be secure and we can be comfortable? The world says that you should pursue power and independence. That you are able to tell other people what to do and you don't have other people controlling you or telling you how to live your life or, or how to spend your time. That would be a good life. Instead of being controlled, you are a controller. I know the list could go on and on. Health, beauty, comfort, but those are some of the things that first came to mind. And And truth be told, as we make that list, it's it's not a new list or it's not anything particularly unique to our culture in America. It's been desires of people's hearts for a very long time. Now again, throughout our walk in the Gospel of John, we've been asking this question, who is this Jesus? What is John trying to tell us about this person? And in a lot of ways, we've come to a very pivotal text in that question. Because as other people at Jesus' day were trying to watch him and ask that same question, who is this person that's doing these things we've never seen or, or teaching with this kind of authority? The conclusions that they have started to come to and their idea about who Jesus is in many ways come to a head in this text. And yet what we also learn is that those ideas about Jesus are actually very contradictory to what Jesus was trying himself to reveal about who he was. And his explanation of who he is is very different from what they see. And again, that's all in our text. Verse 23, in response to a request to see Jesus, Jesus says, "...the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified." Now, if you take that verse out of context, and again, you ask the question, well, what does it mean for someone to be glorified? Well, again, we can answer that question according to worldly standards. To be glorified in worldly standards, we think of that person, that athlete that that sinks the final shot or or hits the the game-winning home run, and then they are surrounded by their teams as they lift the trophy above their head and the confetti falls from the skies, and they are cheered and celebrated. Indeed, that is a moment of personal glory, and in a lot of ways... That kind of glory is what people in Jesus' culture would have pursued. And what is more, at this particular moment, Jesus had the opportunity to receive that kind of glory. This was his hour. Since it's the Passover feast, there are millions of people now who have come to the city of Jerusalem to to celebrate this important feast and festival of the Jewish faith. And those people have heard about the great things that Jesus have done. They had heard about the resurrection of, of Lazarus from the dead. And so they are talking about Jesus. They are hearing these stories. And everyone is looking for Jesus. To the point that when they find out that he is coming to Jerusalem. Almost like they have no other options. They start to gather and they celebrate Jesus. They look for symbols to celebrate Him and, and to point to Him as a fulfillment of Scripture. And, and this is a big deal. In what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday, the people are, are reaching for the symbols of, of palm branches This sign of victory from the Maccabean revolt where they would celebrate what took place. And and they would hail Jesus as a victor coming into Jerusalem. They shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They are intentionally in quoting there uh, Psalm 118. A psalm that we read for our call to worship that is celebrating the great accomplishments of God, pointing to a future king that would come and save his people. And in quoting that, they're saying, We see Jesus as fulfilling that prophecy. They are celebrating Jesus as a new leader. After years of Roman oppression and, and being under the umbrella of Roman authority, finally God was acting. Finally, God has sent the Messiah to come and to claim the, the kingdom once again, to to throw off the Roman overlords to reestablish Israel as an independent and self-sufficient mighty nation in the world and to usher in this new age of the reign of the Messiah. This is his hour, his moment to ride that wave of popularity and praise to the throne and then to the battlefield and then to glory. That's who this crowd thought Jesus was. And what he had come to do. But Jesus pushes back against all of that. And he does so intentionally. First of all, instead of riding on a a great white steed. Like other uh, conquering kings would. A mighty horse entering into Jerusalem. Jesus intentionally chooses to ride on a donkey. Not something that a king would do. And although it seems that no one really understood why at the time, instead of pointing people to Psalm 118, he wanted people to recognize that he was fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9, and 10. When it says, "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you! Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey!' on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But then the text continues, I will cut off the chariots from Ephraim, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus wasn't there to start a local earthly reign, or a new Jewish nation. He was there for the whole world. And that's seen in the fact that his comment about his hour having come doesn't get triggered by the celebration and the shouts of the Israelite crowd as he enters into Jerusalem, but instead that comment is triggered when some Gentiles, a group of Greeks, come and they want to meet with him. His influence is growing. It's reaching beyond these people, this one nation. And what is more, when Jesus talks about his hour, he doesn't talk with them about parades and glory for himself, but instead he talks about his death. He reaches for an agricultural analogy in verse 24, and he talks about a a grain of wheat and he said if, if wheat, if that grain, just wanted to celebrate being a piece of wheat, if it wanted to call attention to itself and its beauty as a plant, then it would just remain alone. But in order for it to reach beyond itself and become more than just itself, that, that wheat would have to die and the seed would fall to the earth. And when that did, then it would multiply And it would become more than just an individual. And it would allow itself to grow into a harvest that could gain and benefit people that that reaped it and turned it into food to be eaten. And then he brings that analogy home. And he says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it safe for eternal life. The path to a good life. The path to impact and glory is not to seek out and to receive the praise and celebration of other people. This is what the culture had taught. This is what people like the Pharisees were trying to pursue and cling to. But Jesus says that path is a path that is to be rejected and shunned. Instead of seeking the praises of the masses and the crowds and getting your glory from them, Jesus was pursuing the applause of an audience of one. He wanted to bring glory not to himself, but to the Father. And in order to bring glory to the Father, he had to take a different path, which wasn't the path of praise, but it was the path of sacrifice. It was a path of service. A path that denied selfish interest and desires, but sought the benefit and the blessing of others. To not pursue our own dreams and glory, but always to be pointed toward the glory of God. And that's not only the path that Jesus was going to take and was walking, but that's the path that he says anyone who follows after him has to also walk He continues in verse 25, whoever, or he says in verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And in case you're wondering if he's talking in anyone more than himself, he continues, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And that anyone includes us we want to have a good life, Jesus says, don't pursue the praise of the crowd. Don't reach for your own dreams, your own desires, the things that this world says will be satisfactory and will make you happy or, or find pleasure in. In fact, you have to forsake what you want out of life and your own glory in order to pursue the glory of God. And yes, That might mean going all the way to death. Giving your whole life just like Jesus did. Meaning it's not that we look at this text and say, well, as long as we score a touchdown and then just point to the sky, that's good enough. No, he's saying, I want your all. To take up your cross and to follow Christ. To pour out your precious possessions upon his feet to sacrifice all that you have for the sake of the kingdom. And that was Jesus' pursuit. And the Father acknowledges that through his voice from heaven. For the third time in his life God speaks. It's interesting that not everybody recognizes exactly what's going on. Some think it's the thunder of a cloud, other thinks it's the voice of an angel. It's only those with ears to hear that recognize exactly what is going on. all saw the same thing, but apparently only a few understood. And again, this is, this is confusing to the people. They wanted to believe that he was the Messiah. And they they got the fact that he was talking about his death when he talked about being lifted up. But those two ideas didn't fit together. If he's the Messiah, why is he talking about dying? If he is the one who's supposed to remain forever, how do those two ideas fit together? And they look at this, and and because it doesn't seem to fit for them, they ask in verse 34 the question that we have been asking. Again, who is this son of man? And that's the question. Does any of this make sense? Couldn't Jesus have done and accomplished more if he stayed alive and ministered for more than just the three years that he did? Wouldn't the throne in Israel have been a better place, a a much better position, where he could have gotten his message out to so many more people and had a, a wider, bigger influence than he had just by wandering around in the desert? Wasn't this a great opportunity to take advantage of in order to get a whole bunch of people to recognize and believe who he was? But instead, he's talking about death and and wheat and being lifted up. And finally, don't miss the fact that this is not an easy path for him to take. Jesus says in verse 27 that his soul is troubled. And he is clearly struggling with this path himself. He would rather not move in this direction. So again, why do it this way? Does this make any sense? And that's where I want to go back to verse 16 of our text. In that verse, after the triumphal entry, it says, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. In essence, that verse is saying that Seeing Jesus come into Jerusalem on a donkey at that day, it it didn't make any sense to them. It didn't make any sense until after his death and his resurrection. And then they remembered the prophecies from Zechariah. Then they understood more about what Jesus had been up to and why he allowed himself to move closer to a cross rather than a throne. And that's the major point that I hope gets communicated today. That in all of these things that doesn't really seem to make sense, in all of of what we see Jesus doing, how it doesn't seem to really fit, it only makes sense in light of the cross and the empty tomb. In his death on the cross, that is where we see that Jesus' enemy wasn't the Roman Empire. But instead, as he said in verse 31, Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. His enemy wasn't an empire. His enemy was the devil himself. And by going to the cross, he was going to defeat that enemy. And he wasn't just going to do that for this particular nation at this particular time. He was going to defeat the wrath of God against all sin for every person that had been chosen by the Father. And through the path of the sacrifice, Jesus took all of that wrath of God against sin on the world on himself and he paid the debt of sin. And in his resurrection, we see his victory. We learn that death is not the greatest thing to be feared. In his resurrection, death was defeated and he offers the promise of eternal life. And again, not just to a few people at a particular place in a particular time, but to us. People who live so very far away from where these events occurred, not only in space, but also in time. And in looking back on all of these statements from our text, That's the only way that any of this makes sense for him and for us. Again, Jesus didn't just do this himself. He didn't just pursue the path of God's glory and his sacrifice, but he calls all who believe in him to follow in that same path. And yes, like it was for Jesus, that path will be hard. And yes, we will be asked to sacrifice Our desires, our dreams, our glory, and our hope. And many people will look at those who choose that path in life and they will say, why are you wasting your life like that? Why are you wasting your time? Why are you giving your money for that cause? Why would you sacrifice yourself for for people in that way? But we don't need to worry about what other people think. We don't need the applause of other people in this world. What we need to think about is what will bring glory to God? And when we ask and answer that question and live in accordance with that, that is when our life has value and that is when the life that we live has a different purpose. And again, it only makes sense in light of the cross and in the light of the resurrection. Again, our world would say, pursue your own glory. Don't waste your time on other things. Celebrate yourself and your gift and surround yourself with people who will do the same. That is life. But to do that is to be alone. To be a a single head of wheat that wants attention to itself and never impacts others in any way. And we've seen where that road leads. Yes, you're celebrated for a moment, but the next year there's going to be a new champion. Yes, you're praised and you're glorified, but it's not going to be long until you're forgotten and all the money you earned will be wasted on pleasure that's meaningless. And you're going to be alone. The path of the cross, the path of the empty tomb says that because Jesus won the victory over Satan and defeated death and offers you eternal life and invites you now to follow him, Sacrifice your desires in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Then your life will have impact. Then you will be an influence to others. Then you will not have wasted your life. But God will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's turn to our God with a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, because you through your Spirit have blessed us with many gifts and talents... There is a desire in our selfish heart to be praised and celebrated for those. To gain the applause of people around us in this world. And that temptation is strong. But Lord, I would pray that we would forego our praise and turn to your glory. That the greatest desire of our hearts would not be the celebration of the crowd, but it would be the smile of your face upon us. And so I do pray, Lord, that we would be willing to make those sacrifices. I pray that we would know of your will in our life. And no matter where that leads us, be it through times of trial and struggle and hardship, that we would be willing to follow you, not for our glory, but so that your name would be known, your kingdom would be built, and we would praise and thank you for the great gift you have first given to us in Jesus Christ. And that's where we end. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for paying our penalty of sin. And we say that not just with word, but may that be the way that we live our lives, living for you in all that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.